and welcome to the latest recording of the Tap Into podcast, recorded in front of a live audience here at the Wanstead Tap. <laughs> an award-winning bar and venue, which is in an old railway arch at the dark end of an East End street. So if you hear a rumble in the background, it's just a train passing overhead. And if you hear the clinking of glasses, well, it's just the audience enjoying one of our great, as yet unsponsored beers. <laughs> Tonight's episode is a celebration of that most British of institutions, one that has been with us since 1958, that is bawdy, cheeky, incredibly funny, historically inaccurate, some might say iconic, the carry-on film, and in particular the girls of the carry-on films. My name is Dan Clapton, and my guests tonight are two of the biggest names in the study and celebration of British comedy. Archivists, experts, and the fonts of all things funny, and absolute authorities on all 31 carry-on films. Please welcome Robert and Gemma Ross. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Well you, well, you two can come again, can't well, you? Well, I know, exactly. Thank you. I don't feel any pressure at all. Um, <laughs> remember when I saw Frankie Howard live in 1989, and his poster said, Frankie Howard at his tittermost, with his warm wit and genius. And Frankie Howard would come out and say, I've seen the poster, warm wit and genius. I know what I'm going to say. So um, <laughs> keep, keep the applause going. It's well, fun. you'll fit in very well here, Robert, because we, we, we tend to make these things up as we go along. But that's very good. So I said at the start of this, tonight is a celebration of all things carry on. Um, I think in open declaration, we should give our top five. Kai, Kai the camping Cleo screaming abroad. Shall I go? Yeah, okay, I need a, an hour to think about that, but go on, yeah. Top five. <clears throat> abroad, Sergeant, Ooh. Cleo, Kyber, Screaming. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, so yes. It's probably the Gosh. same as you, Rob. Um, the, well, you see, my, the best, I, I'll take about half an hour to answer this. The best are different to my favourites. I think the best, undoubtedly, Cleo, Kyber, Screaming. Um, probably in that order. I think my favourites, definitely Sergeant, definitely Abroad, Carry On Cabby, I think it's a lovely, warm hug of a film. Um, I've got a, a, a weird soft spot for Carry On Emmanuel, you know. Oh, I know we're coming yes. on to that oh. later. Oh, yes, that yes, controversial. But um, you, you watch it again, seriously. It's one of those rare sex comedies which is both sexy and funny. There you go. I was going to say um, <laughs> one laugh for that. Look about that. <laughs> confessions of a plumber. I mean, that's adventures of a plumber's mate. Oh, oh come on! That's See, I, I I got to Channel Five and RTL quite late in my life, so I never saw all of those films. But it's amazing, isn't it, that everyone has their favourite Carry On films? That's mm. a really silly question, but why is that? I think everyone can kind of relate to something on some level. Um, I, I, I'm just thinking. Actually, I don't think any. Did any of us here mention any of the medical ones? I don't think we did. Oh. No. Did you? No. no, no. They were the most commercially successful of all of them. I so. know, and yet that's probably the one thing we can all relate to because we've all had a brush with the NHS at some point. Yeah, 
I mean, I was out uh, in hospital for about 30 years ago, a minor operation, and the guy next to me in bed was called Sidney Sims. And I thought, I've walked into a carry-on film, I'm waiting for Hattie Jakes to walk in any minute. But, was it um, next to the male pregnancy ward? It was, exactly, yes. Charles Hawtrey, absolutely. <laughs> but no, I mean, and I was talking to someone actually earlier, before we started this, that the, all of them, every single of the 31 films, I can guarantee they're all somebody's favourite. Um, I know people whose favourite is Carry On Columbus. Uh, it's Ooh. true. Oh, it's true. I'm getting even Probably more controversial. Probably Michael McIntyre. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but even Columbus has its moments, you see. And, it, and they're all directed by the same person, Gerald Thomas. They're all produced by Peter Rogers. So that legacy across 35 years of filmmaking, with some gaps in between, was, was real sort of loyalty to that brand, mm. you know. And that's, that's, I think that's what people really tap into. You can watch those two trailers. I know they're 10 years apart, but... Sid James is in both, and Joan Sims and Kenneth Connor. Those faces are still there, getting a little bit older, but they're still there, and it's quite a reassuring thing. That, but still doing what they'd always done. Yeah. Um, but obviously, by the time you get to Carry On Girls, nineteen seventy-three, the, the, the social climate of Britain has changed. But we're going to come on to that. Okay. Now, this podcast is currently being listened to in about twenty-seven different countries, from Guernsey to Kuwait to Japan and New Zealand. Wow. Some people who might be listening might not know what a carry-on film is. And I think if you had to explain to a Martian or an American, very similar things, <laughs> what makes British people, what is Britishness, what I think carry-on would be. So what is it about carry-on films? It's the saucy seaside postcard. If you've ever been to a British seaside and you've seen a naughty postcard drawing, I think that's... British sense of humour. Yeah, Donald McGill postcard come to life, absolutely. You've got the fat man with his little child by his ankles and he's looking down, looking around and he says, I've not seen my little willy for ages. <laughs> and it's that, it's, you see, look, that's it. But, but Americans wouldn't get that gag, you know. Well, they probably would now, to be honest. Jim Dale, who, bless him, is still with us, going strong, lives in New York and he gets stopped by people. He says, oh, man, I saw you at like, People who can't sleep at three in the morning are watching Carry On Cowboy on some... Network oh, that's channel a cowboy again. Cowboy's a cracker. Yeah. But it's amazing, yeah. every time you mention a carry-on film, someone goes, oh, that, that's my one. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said that's interesting about Americans. Do, do they translate well? Do they have an overseas following? A absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. absolutely. All around the world, actually. I mean, I did a show with Jim Dale in New York about... 10 years ago. Oh, we don't have a sting um, for blatant name dropping. I know, sorry. But it's like, yeah, absolutely. I know. If we did, it would sound like that. So you're in New York with Jim Dale. Absolutely, yes. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go home, shall I? But no, uh, uh, if, you, if you drop a, ma a name, you're, when you drop names, you've got to make sure they bounce. That's the whole point of dropping <laughs> names. Um, but no, but Jim Dale, who obviously went to New York, um, married and, and stayed there, but was like the toast of Broadway in the 80s, uh, doing P.T. Barnum, uh, originally before Michael Crawford did it in the the West End, um, but he's still beloved in this country for the carry-ons. So when he came back to England in the mid '90s to play Fagin in Oliver for Cameron Mackintosh, he was being stopped by taxi drivers. Hey, I love the carry-ons. I love the carry-ons. But in America, there are people who still do know him from those. Wow. Um, and an American comedy, it's funny. They're always about 10, 20, 30 years behind us. So they are getting a bit more innuendo savvy over there now. But it's really, it's vaudeville comedy. That's why Phil Silvers came over to do Follow That Camel and fitted in really well because he's this low comedian who was big in America and made an international TV show, Bill Coe, was dragged into the carry-ons to 
improve their sales uh, marketing wow, value in America. So, you know. So was he probably one of the biggest stars to ever... He was the highest paid, for <laughs> sure. That's another whole game um, of But worms, yes, but it? I would think I, him and Elkie Summer, who came in for Carry On Behind, which is like Carry On Camping 2, really, um, they were the two big internationals. So Robert and Gemma literally are comedy archivists, <laughs> royalty, friends to the stars. There's, there's not a survivor of a 70s British comedy. We that have these actors know. stuffed at home um, <laughs> in, in comedy cottages. We defrost them for certain shows. We do actually a lot of shows. We do shows at the uh, Cinema Museum and uh, we're doing a show actually um, in June. Yep. Our local theatre, the Aylesbury uh, Waterside Theatre. So, yeah, I mean, and they love it because, I mean, uh, you know, to be remembered for anything. I mean, some actors get a bit angsty about, oh, you were great in 1976 or something. But um, they are really proud to be remembered for these comedy shows that are still beloved around the world, you know. So um, it's like the carry-ons. I mean, they, you know, I spent my entire sort of working life analysing and celebrating them, but you you don't have to go too deep into it. They're there to be funny and make you laugh, and they still make you laugh. That's that's achieved what they're trying to do, really. Um, so, But actually, on the note of, of one of the girls we know, or several of the girls we've met and got to know during this process, they always say, why do you want to talk to me? You know, I, I, I did something in the 70s, and then I got married, and I had my family, and I stepped away from the limelight would anyone remember me? And then we bring them to events like this and they're just overawed, aren't they, at yeah. the love that yeah. people have for them and remember them, which is amazing. And great respect as well. It's, it's not sent up at all. You know, you, the, the fans are brilliant and uh, they've kept it going. I mean, you know, I remember talking to Fenella Fielding Bounce um, <laughs> saying... <laughs> I've, got, I've got loads of those. Um, but, but she was really proud of the fact, you know, she said... Thank God for television. You said, without television showing Carry On Screaming twice a year, no one would know who I was, which I don't think was strictly true. She was a brilliant stage actress and, and wonderful velvet chocolate voice. But that Carry On Screaming, you know, the sort of, do you mind if I smoke and all that business, it made her an icon of British film, and she was very grateful to it. So Fenella Fielding was really interesting because um, many of us grew up learning our history and, and things from Carry On films, and... I would watch Carry On Screaming as a kid and just think, oh, that's, that's quite scary, quite spooky. Then I went to university, Manchester Polytechnic, and studied the Gothic novel, and I thought, that's Carry On Screaming. Yeah. It, and it was so accurate. Yeah. It was fantastic. But it was her only one, wasn't it? She did two, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Carry On. Oh, you see, you've gone. not read the book probably, have you, see? Uh, uh, I, I have to learn how to make all this equipment work. <laughs> 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 to do she's, she's, in one, she's in one scene in Carry On Regardless um, where there's a helping hands agency, for those who haven't seen it, run, by, run by Sid James. Penny Panting. Penny Panting. <laughs> yes. And Kenneth Connors sent around as Sam Twist. Um, to to make uh, to well, actually to babysit to babysit, but it's it's a bit of a ruse there. But um, and she she got this script and it's like a, it's one scene, but it was about six pages of dialogue. And the director Gerald Thomas had assured her she'd be done in one morning. She goes, I can't possibly do all this in one morning. This will take at least a week. But carry ons weren't like that. And they did it in two hours. Boom, one take done. And and she thought this is amazing. But also at the same time. Gerald Thomas, the director, his brother was a guy called Rafe Thomas, who directed the Doctor in the House films, and Peter Rogers, who produced all the carry-ons, his wife was Betty Box, 
who produced the Doctor in the House comedies. So you see these actors, Vanilla Fielding's in a few, Joan Sims, Peter Butterworth, you know, they, they, they cross-fertilise. Um, and those four creative forces really were the pillars of Pinewood Studios. They kept that place open. So why the book? Well... There's a bit of a story about this book. Robert has been trying to write this book for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan was always that Valerie Leon would be involved and write the foreword. So she was on board for, for the last 15 years, bless her. And you got really close to it, didn't you? Yeah. And then Me Too happened. And the publishers got cold feet. So... Fast forward or or go backwards, I suppose, 18 months ago, because it really wasn't that long ago we wrote this book, um, you said to me, I really want to... um, What did I say? Oh, no. (laughs) I want to write the Carry On Girls. It needs to be done. We're now in, I think, 2021. It's time to do this book. And I said to him... I think Barbara Windsor died. That's what triggered it again. So the end of of 2020. um, And there'd been... Previous books written by friends of mine, uh, James Bond, Girls Forever, um, and Hammer Glamour, the Hammer Horror uh, films. Um, and I thought the carry-ons are in there. You, know, you mentioned carry-on screaming. Brilliant pastiche of Hammer Horror films, even down to that murky Eastman colour they used. It's, you know, and shot by Alan Hume, the, the cinematographer, who worked at Hammer on films like Kiss of the Vampire. So he had that look about it. And James Bond, you've got carry-on spying, um, brilliant sort of black and white film noir with lots of sort of, you know, uh, James Bond references in it. So I thought, it's got to be done, this, and I want to do it, but I couldn't get arrested. Um, so. so I said, well, you need it. I think you're going to need another woman on board. And we literally spent an evening running through various female writers and friends of ours that could have written it with you. And in the end, I was a little bit selfish, and we'd only just got married, and I thought... Do you know what? Financially, it'd be better if you put my name on it. <laughs> so let's go with that. <laughs> and it was, but, but, but you see, the, the sting in the tail, because I think Gemma was convinced that I'd be writing all of it. Um, but I that thought it was wasn't, just going to be my that name. That wasn't the case. <laughs> we had to have the first manuscript in, and I, I, I saw it because I looked it up the other day, the 15th of March, 2023. So this time last year... I was (laughs) dark-haired. Yeah. We were were burning the midnight oil. But we never had a fight, did we, during (laughs) that? Which I thought we would. Now, when you said that you you, you wrote this book together at home, two thoughts came to mind. The first one would be, with with the the dictionary of, of comedians... Dr. Johnson's Dictionary, but in the Black Adder episode, when you finish the final manuscript, oh. and Gemma says, oh, have we got so-and-so? So-and-so! Yep, that ah. happens. That that happened. And, and what would happen, the worst thing was, is if, um, I mean, God bless the Facebook carry-on groups. If <laughs> someone imagine. put something up, and it was like, is she in there? No, she's not. Right, we need to add her. Oh no, we've missed her. <laughs> and, they're, and they're sort of Easter eggs in there too. But I mean, there are so many women, not just in them, but also behind the scenes. You know, there's there's sort of the, the continuity girls and uh, wardrobe mistresses, and um, you know, there's and they all get a reference somewhere. They don't necessarily get a, a chapter or a paragraph to themselves, but they're referenced in there somewhere. Um, and we are hoping to do a, 
a deluxe edition um, for Christmas 2025 because, you know, there's some more stuff to put in. And it's also a, a never-going beast carry-on. There's always something happening. There's always talk of another revival. There's always, you know, I find some new stuff I've never seen before. I mean, actually, we, we met some technical guys uh, who worked on the films in the 70s who had a vast archive of stuff I'd never seen before. So there's always there's always extra stuff to to, to ram in if you'll pardon the expression. Um, but and actually, uh, those guys took their own personal photos behind you. the scenes, so they have never been seen, and they're they're real golden nuggets. So yeah, yeah. if we get the deluxe, then yeah. ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, there are there, we have there are aardvarks missing. Yes, absolutely. To 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 use your. But I also gather. imagine you sitting there laying in bed. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, oh God, I know it's a carry-on night. Yes, but, I know. Oh, memories. It was a pause. It wasn't any kind of innuendo. You were, you were swallowing, weren't you? If you'd asked an innuendo, I'd have given a one. Hey. Anyway. Hey. I do imagine you both like, sitting up in bed like some kind of Terry and June going, have we got this one? Have we got this one? And going, oh, no, I've just, I've just done that. And can we do it in the morning? No, do you know what? It's funny. We, we, our, our little house, our little house is called, actually I named it. When I first went round, it was it was Robert's house first and then obviously I moved it's in. It's still my house. mine and moved in. Um, and it, it, it does have a name. It's, it's, it's named, a, it's a particular cottage. But I said to him, you should call it Comedy Cottage. And so it's stuck. And, and it's We're getting a laugh on cottage. I mean, this is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they What's like themselves. It's very yeah. nearby. <laughs> so uh, I yeah. um, commandeered the, the study upstairs, mm, mm-hmm. and you were writing downstairs. And we yeah. would just shout down to each other or call up and, have you done this? And, and we use, well, we worked on Google Docs so you can see what each other's doing. Yeah. Robert, Ooh. are you working? The, be- <laughs> the, the best thing, I was sat downstairs in the, the downstairs kitchen area where I was writing in a, you know, like, like you are a heap um, in, the, in the freezing cold kitchen. And Gemma came down from upstairs and dragged off the shelf downstairs a copy of my book, The Carry On Companion, to check some facts. I thought, oh, my, I'm, I'm self-referencing myself. <laughs> um, you know, my job here is done, so that was fun. But, I mean, it's... And, and, and I, think, I think people think we just sit around watching comedy all day long, and we really don't. So do you think you've, you've written this book in tribute to the women, the women of the carry-on? Because everyone remembers Kenneth Williams. They remember Bernard Breslau. They remember... But the, apart from Barbara Windsor, it seems that the women have been kind of... They were just there. They were never the... Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think also really just to celebrate their careers. I mean, there's, there's certain women in the book, like the late Beryl Reed or Dame Sheila Hancock, who had very tiny parts in it. So they've got quite a small section written about them. But, I mean, Sheila Hancock's written... I don't know how many books now. So, you know, she could tell her own story. But we wanted to to acknowledge them in some way. And what's been interesting feedback, I think, is when people have come up to us going, you know, I never Mm. knew so-and-so was in a carry-on film. Mm. And they've gone back and watched it. And said, oh, yeah. And in terms of the the billing as well, you mentioned the fact that the men are the ones that tend to be remembered. I don't know, I mean, you know, going back to the the second one, you said about Cleo and Girls bookend it. I mean, it started with Carry On Sergeant. By Carry On Nurse, which was Carry On Number Two, um, Shirley Eaton, who was the leading lady in Carry On Sergeant, married 
just newly married to Bob Monkhouse in the film. She gets top billing in Carry On Nurse, and she also got the most money. Um, wow. So, and uh, it's it's a case of it wasn't a case of uh, gender inequality. It was a case of marquee value. Uh, and at that time, Shirley Eaton was a big star. You know, so she got more. Uh, press attention and more marquee uh, exposure than Kenneth Williams, Charles Hawtrey, Kenneth Connor, you know, these people that, that went on and did lots and lots of them. Um, so it's, it's interesting to look back at that. Actually, that was something when, when I did start chipping in quite early on <laughs> with the vote, I said, you know, I said, I was, I was kind of thinking ahead and thinking, oh God, what are the press going to say about this book coming out? They're going to ask about, was there a gender pay gap? So, hence why we dived into it, to, just to kind of debunk that. And then slowly, all these kind of things started weaving into the book, just to give it a bit of social history context to what was going on. Because when you look at uh, Hattie Jakes, Joan Sims, you know, they were big stars. I mean, and were, so were they getting equal, not only billing, but kind of financial reward for these films? Or If you look at the core team members you know and as i say the marquee value gives it away really you know unless you've got a guest star like frankie howard or phil silvers coming in it was invariably starring it was always carry on peter rogers the producer always said the star is carry on nobody's above carry on it's always starring sydney james kenneth williams so they're, they're your two in terms of financial benefit they're the two big hitters then under that it, it's it's a, an ever changing roll call of Barbara Windsor, Bernard Breslau, Kenneth Connor, and it depends where you are on the bill is what you got. Um, so usually Joan Sims, Bernard Breslau, Kenneth Connor, Hattie Jakes would get the same, um, regardless, because you know that they were part of a team. And it was quite rare in comedy, uh, particularly in the 1960s, to have so many prominent women. I was invited onto Woman's Hour. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right, too. <laughs> well, Jenny Murray has been here, so... Oh, there we go. So yes. it was Emma Barnett. I was quite surprised they were going to talk about Carry On on Women's Hour. And I had a pre-interview, which must have lasted about an hour and a half, wasn't it? And they literally went through every type of scenario that I thought the media would totally go for. She didn't, actually. I think it really helped we had Anita Harris come along and, and spread a bit of panto fairy dust over <laughs> Woman's Hour. Bless her. Um, and, and she kept making this point, if you did hear it, she kept sort of saying, but the women weren't dressed very, you know, had very little clothing on. And I thought, I'm, I'm just not going to bite at this because you want me to bite and I'm not going to bite. So what I wanted to really say, but I was also aware we were like 10 minutes towards the end, was, yeah, but the men also, you know, <laughs> I think the first kind of bare bottom was in Carry On Constable with the four policemen. <laughs> yes, it is, yes. Who would have thought that? Les Leslie Phillips, <laughs> Kenneth Williams, Kenneth Connor and Charles Hawtrey. And what did Joan Sims Joan tell Sims, you? Joan Sims, another one who told me, Joan Sims, obviously in that scene, she comes down as PC, you know, the, uh, the, the woman PC and the four guys are out, running out of the shower. The gag is they're waiting for the hot water and it comes on cold. So the four PCs come running out, start naked apart from a little towel. Um, but you don't see anything apart from these four 
bare bottoms um, and the makeup artist had to sort of make them up because they were they were flaring on camera so they had to had to put baby powder on these four or eight cheeks um, but I so I, I said cheekily to, to Joan Sims I said go on Joan because I mean you must have seen everything that they had she said, oh yes I did yes and I, I said so so go on who who was the uh the, the, the one with the biggest truncheon, shall we say. And she goes, you, you'll never believe me. And I said, Leslie Phillips. She goes, no, no, Charles Hawtrey. <laughs> she says, she said, what a waste. <laughs> How do you think young people react to carry-on films? Because young people, they're a different, different country to us. They're a different place. <laughs> they, they see things differently. I think, well, my day job is I'm actually a teacher, I'm a secondary teacher as well, so I work with 15, 16 year olds. Um, there's this either kind of like quiet snigger that I, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I am because it is quite funny. Um, we get, don't we, quite a lot of, we've got 15 year olds come Absolutely, to our shows yeah, who yeah. love it. Well, the way I look, I mean, I look at it, I never saw a carry-on film at the cinema until Carry On Columbus in 1992. I watched them all on television as a kid in the 70s into the 80s. So, as Gemma was the same, Gemma, Gemma well, you can say your own story about how you got into it because of the VHSs being mm. released. Uh, now you've got kids, 12, 13, 14-year-old, stumbling across, across these films on Britbox or somewhere or you know their dad's dvd collection or something and they love it so so and because a, a lot of them are historical and a lot of them are sort of about medical stuff and whatever and they're they're timeless topics a bit like dad's army never dates because it was old when they made it you know it's 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 that it's a historical piece so you can come along to the, and see this film uh, and i i was the same as a kid i didn't know who the actors were i just kept on seeing these familiar people sid james or hattie jakes in different costumes but sort of doing the same sort of shtick. And I just fell in love with them. And I think they're like cartoon characters in a mm. weird sort of way. And I mean, th it's just fun. It's fun. And like you say, you know, if you watch when you were seven, eight-year-old, it's funny when Kenneth Williams is loses his trousers or something. But then you get older. The older you get, the more you get the innuendos and the sexual uh, play that's going on. And You only get those jokes when you're old enough to get those jokes. But so you they're know sort of self-cleaning in a way. What was interesting was... I found, or my mum found in our loft, one of my old school books, and I was six years old, and I, it, I'd written about what I'd done that weekend. And it was, I, I'd written in, um, I went to Blockbuster, I watched a movie called Carry On Abroad, or I think it was Abroad, and there, it starred a man called Sid, and there's this girl called Barbara. And, I, and I'm basically, in, in very kind of six-year-old language, explaining the film. And I thought, my God, if a teacher saw this today, they'd probably... I'd be in counselling or something. They'd be panicking that I was being exposed to something. When I was about maybe nine or ten, um, they brought out two films on, on VHS. And you had the big old... X rental size boxes, you know. Um, carry on Nurse and Carry on Cleo were the first two commercially available, and they were like seventy nine ninety nine each or something. And I had, I've got this thing at home still, this catalogue, and I've circled it in blue, saying, "Please, Mum and Dad, can I have these for Christmas?" I didn't get them, of course, because <laughs> hundred and fifty quid's a lot of money now. Never mind, you know, forty years ago. Um, but I was obsessed with them even then. Um, so, as I say, I think every new generation will come along and find something joyous in them. Because that's all they are. They're just totally joyous films. 
there's something in the book about the women and supporting the NHS, and I think that's absolutely fascinating. So over to you, Gemma. Yeah, I, I can't even remember what made us do this as a section itself. My brother works for the NHS, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I, I do feel a lot of the carry-on films are very accurate to how the NHS is run. <laughs> God, God help us. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, because he, he used to work on a dementia ward, and he said, you know, he said, I still get little old ladies and little old gentlemen saying, where's Matron? And he said that, you know, they're not... Matron has sort of come back now in a, in a very different way to what we know or remember Matron as. And he said they get a real shock if it's like a young black guy walks through the door and they're like, that's not Matron, because he said they expect Hattie Jakes to walk <laughs> through the door. <laughs> but I think as well, it's, it's the, the power of good comedy, you know. I mean, without getting too sort of um, analytical about it, I mean, it, it's, it, it's supposed to be there to cheer you up and make you feel happy and safer. And if you're not well and you've got to go to, to the hospital to have an operation, it's a scary thing. So if you can watch Carry On Matron before you go in and, and think, oh, it's going to be okay, you know, we might have some laughs here, and it's, it's sort of, it, it demystifies it in a way. But no, it is, don't you think? It's, it's, it's sort of, it just reassures people. Um, and the Doctor and the House comedies are the same. They're just fun. And it's all about community and, and just sort of keeping everybody cheerful. And as Gemma mentioned before, that's a wartime thing. You know, you look at the great writer, Torrit Rothwell, who wrote both the films we showed the trailers of there. Um, you know, he was in the same prisoner of war camp with Peter Butterworth, you know, and... Um, yeah, that's all come out you know, recently, it's, it's, hasn't well, it? Well, Tyler Butterworth, who's, who's Peter's son, has been touring a show, brilliant show, and still is touring it, about his dad, Peter Butterworth, and his mum, Janet Brown, the great impressionist. Um, but he, you know, Peter Butterworth was a proper, you know, war hero. Um, you know, Hattie Jakes drove ambulances around blitz strewn London. Uh, Sid James was performing in camp concerts around South Africa. Um, Kenneth Williams was in combined services entertainment, uh, entertaining the troops. Um, they all did their bit. You know, John Pertwee was in the Navy. Kenneth Connor was in the, in the forces. Um, they, all, they all served king and country. And so to get through that six years of strife and every day could be your last, you know, they, they laughed their way through it. So when they came back into Civvy Street, they made us laugh as well. That's the secret of it. And I think also what, what sort of inspired us, I'm thinking about this chapter now about the NHS, was I think it was during COVID, one of the newspapers had what would Matron do with a picture of Hattie Jakes. And for me, it was like, that's what we still associate carry on with the NHS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Out of everything. And you think there's the dramas and things like casualty and that, but no, we go straight away, Hattie Jakes, NHS. And whether it's because she's just got that warm little face and we feel really <laughs> She was assured. certainly efficient, wasn't she? You always knew that everything would be run. I mean, I spent a lot of time in hospital with my dad recently before he died and... I would, I would look around, he would be in a room of four people, I'd look around and think, which is the one who's having crafty fag under the covers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or the one that's actually kind of not really ill, he's just in there to get away from the wife or something, and then someone's going to come in. Yeah. And, but that was because, you know, it's people, Mason, we all grew up watching those it's, it's Mason's Round, mine's a pint and all that stuff. <laughs> going on. Um, but also, but I mean, I remember my, my dad had, had cancer about 15 years ago and, and recovered, thankfully, but I remember going to visit him and walking up and outside there was a guy 
and he was all wired up having his chemotherapy and he was having a fag and I thought my god you know you think this man has got cancer you know what why is he doing that and so I went in and sat with my dad and I said you know that bloke in the bed opposite you he's out there having a fag and he said he's never smoked in his life before he's terminal and he just thought why not? <laughs> and so I, but it, it was, a, again, a bit of a carry-on moment. But, yeah. but I mean, if, if you look at the carry-on films, it was actually happening for real. Carry-on Doctor, Sid James playing a patient, Charlie Roper, in bed for most of the film. He'd had a heart attack for real, Sid James, earlier that year. His first job was to go back to do the next carry-on, carry-on Doctor... He wants to do it, Gerald Thomas and Peter Rogers, the director-producer, will we'll write him a part that's basically, he's in bed most of the time so he can do it, but of course he's sitting there having a fag, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but that was Sid. He want, he would, th- th- it's that generation, they were so stoic that they just wanted to get on and, and do the job, you know, and that's, I think that's why you can look at them and admire them, you can laugh on a, on a superficial level, they're just funny, wonderful, you know, crazy characters and silly innuendos and, and wonderful postcards come to life. I, I was watching an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm mm. the other night, and I love, give or take a couple of seasons, I, lo- I love all of Curb, and I love the in-betweeners, and I love Carry On. There's a pattern forming here. And it just suddenly occurred to me that all of comedy is men being afraid of women. <laughs> women in charge. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry has all the money in the world, but nothing to do. He's terrified of Cheryl. Jo- uh, George the Asian, he's terrified of Susie. Carry on films. The women are the dominant strong roles in it. It's the men who are constantly afraid. Even the in-betweeners, whenever it's offered, they run a mile because they're terrified women. The only exception to this recently, and if you get the chance to watch it, is Big Boys. It's the most touching, heartwarming, hilariously funny, absolutely filthy. (laughs) And then there's moments you'll cry your eyes out. But that doesn't follow that pattern, and that's what makes it different. But all the British comedy, especially Carry On these amazing women i i think it's it's really funny um a friend of mine <laughs> is italian i and I, I lived in italy for a while so i have a lot of italian friends and they always they always laugh they always say the english people is they've got a real problem with sex what is your problem <laughs> and one of the one of my friends is actually a catholic priest and when he when he comes to london one thing is he, he like a flea bag <laughs> <laughs> no um when he, when he comes to London, one of the things he likes to do is he goes down into Westminster Cathedral and he hears confession. And obviously he's under oath, so he can never tell me. But the one thing he said to me once was he said, Gemma, I don't understand. He said, everybody that come to confession, the English people, you all got a problem with sex. And that's from a priest. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different show here, isn't it? You know? um, yeah. So I, I think it is the... You know, it's all kind of fumbling awkwardness, isn't it? It's that comedy of sexual frustration and sexual embarrassment. That's the very key to British humour, really, be it Benny Hill or the carry-ons or anything. But, I mean, there's always that nervousness that you're going to muck something up, that you're going to put your foot in it. But as you say, Dan, you know, the carry-on girls are strong characters. You've got Barbara Windsor there in carry-on girls, pinching Peter Butterworth's bottom in the lift, you know. (laughs) He's been the whole film eyeing eyeing up... Uh, Maggie Noland or Valerie Leon, whoever it is, for his um, you know nautical telescope. The moment he's actually got a woman 
in a compromising position in a lift on his own. He's terrified. Yeah. That's that's funny. It's it's farcical that, that could be and every comedy Absolutely. in yeah. British yeah. comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it's it's and this is what I talk about in the book is how women were evolving through the the time and and you know I I talk to my mum who. Is, was a teenager in the 70s. I won't give her age away, but she was a teenager in the 70s. And she said, you know, when the miniskirt and things came in, she said, we loved it. Like, we didn't care if we got wolf whistled in the street. She said, you know, you just went out and was like, yeah, okay, come mm-hmm. on then, if, if you think you've got it. And she's like, it's a compliment. Whereas my generation and probably younger will go, oh, you can't wolf whistle at me. But so I, I do think... You look at the carry-on films, especially in Sergeant, you know, probably the most shocking thing there is that the whole premise of the film is that Shirley Eaton has her husband taken off on her wedding night and she just wants to have her wedding night with him. That's the premise of the film. But that's a real innocence, isn't it? And yeah. so when, when was Sergeant? Was that... 58. 58. So that was only 13 years at the end of the Second World War. Absolutely, yeah. And national uh, conscription was still a, a thing. So that was not a historical document. That was an actual thing happening. The big ITV sitcom at the time was The Army Game, which was dealing with the same sort of subject. Um, you know, they very cleverly took William Hartnell from The Army Game and bunged him in to carry on Sergeant. And uh, Charles Hawtrey was in The Army Game on telly and they put him in the film. So it was a sort of an unofficial film version of The Army Game, really. There is an official film version by Hammer what I only asked. Um, but there were loads of these late 1950s army comedies. Um, Norman Wisdom was doing them. Um, and in 1958, you know, the budget for Carry On Sergeant was £74,000 for the whole film, right? Wow. And it was, so, it was so below stairs, as Pinewood Studios said, that they were quite reluctant to make it. But they changed their mind when it was number three in the box office the following year, um, beaten only by Dunkirk, the original Dunkirk with John Mills, and Bridge on the River Cry, Alec Guinness, David Lean. So there was this whole sort of wartime mentality still, as you say, 13 years after Mm. the conflict. You talked about them as documents of social change. And uh, is it Carry On Doctor where they're trying to steal um, contraceptive pills? Carry On Matron. Carry On Matron. And then you think, oh, carry on abroad. And there was that whole rise of people going on holiday for the first time and going, oh, the food tastes of olive oil and and, and all the waiters will try and have sex with you and uh, the hotel won't be built. And they were just like coming out with these films that were so on the money. Yeah, and and I think I'm talking to my mum about carry on matron in particular. And this this shocked me. I know I don't know why it shocked me, but she said, you know, should with the contraceptive pill coming out, she said, you know, girls were actually there were a lot of single mums, and I think it's Wendy Richards' little cameo scene in that. She is actually a single mum leaving the hospital, and you think, gosh. Okay, that that was, and yeah. and yet you think, oh no, you know, single mums sort of felt more of a nineties thing to, yeah, to it me was, at it least. There's a stigma in 1971 when they shot it. There's a scene with Terry Scott playing Doctor Prod in <laughs> Carry On Matron. Thank you. Um, was he a guy and, uh, <laughs> and it's, it says it says oh so so uh, 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 Mrs. I've got a uh, whatever name Mrs. Whitting whatever it is. I've got great news for you. And she goes, oh no, it's Miss. He goes, in that case, I've got some very bad news for you. <laughs> um, I was literally going to say that. I thought it, that was... Uh, I, I'm a big Max Miller fan. Well, yes. In, in 10 years of being here, I've yeah. always wanted to do a Max Miller night, and eventually one night we will. 
get us back. Of Max we could do Max Miller. But I thought Come that on. was a Max Miller joke. Well, Tobit Rothwell was 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 uh, born in Brighton and he was obsessed with Max Miller. Yeah. Um, so Tobit Rothwell, who wrote a lot of the carry-ons from uh, carry-on cabbie all the way through to carry-on dick. That's about Dick Turpin before you get any ideas. Um, so a good 10, 12 years of the films Tolly Rothwell wrote. He'd written for Arthur Askey and The Crazy Gang and Terry Thomas and all these great variety comedians. But no, he, he worshipped Max Miller. So you see lots of old jokes. Tolly Rothwell would always say, I steal all my own material. Um, <laughs> you, you've got lots of, lots, of, lots of old gags reheated in those films. Including... Including infamy, infamy, absolutely, yes. Not I mean, what do you, yeah. we, we cannot do a night about Carry On and the Girls of Carry On without the infamy, infamy, infamy. The, the, where did that come I, from? I love this, this chant along to jokes. This is great. <laughs> I, I turned to Jem, I said, these are my people here. <laughs> um, but yeah, infamy, infamy, it, it was an old joke. So in 1964, um, Tom Rothwell was, was the head Carry On writer. Um, he half remembered a joke from an old radio show called Take It From Here, Jimmy Edwards' show from the late 40s through to the early 60s. But there's what, uh, what happened in Take It From Here was a sketch show, really, but it ended with like a five or seven minute historical pastiche. And there was an ancient Rome episode from the 1950s. So Tolly Rothwell, who was literally about four offices down from Frank Muir and Dennis Norden, who wrote Take It From Here, just went down and said, you know, that, what, that joke you did about infamy, I was, oh, infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy. Can I, can, I, can I borrow that for the film I'm writing? And yeah, sure, yeah, buy me a beer, it's fine. <laughs> um, fast forward 30 years later, just before Frank Muir died, he, he phoned me up and he said, have you seen the Daily Express or whatever it was for that? And I said, yeah, I have, I've seen it. He said, this, this greatest one-liner in film history business, have you seen this? I said, yeah, yeah, I said, Infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy, written by Tolbert Rothwell. Can you say, have you seen this? Um, but, you know, that's, that immortality is in film, not radio comedy, you see. But, uh, and Tolly Rothwell knew that, but as I mentioned, he was in the same prisoner of war camp with Peter Butterworth. It was all about old jokes. That's how they survived, you know. I think we've got to be careful we don't erase what's gone but learn from what's gone before um i'm gonna say something controversial that hovering over it <laughs> hover over the edit button i would be more f more afraid if they made new ones oh, yes yeah. yes yeah. personally Ooh. that's a whole night in itself <laughs> i've got, I've got to tell us why uh, yes um because one is the actors, and, and you can't replace those actors, and, and we are very lucky. We, we know the children of, of a lot of those beloved actors and, and partners and things that are surviving. There is a worry that AI is being talked about in Hollywood, and for their sake, they're like, we don't want our mothers, fathers, whatever, being recreated. But the person that's really missing that you can't recreate this with, is Gerald Thomas. And I just think he is the unsung hero of Carry On. Without his filmmaking, there wouldn't be Carry On. 
directed every single film, every single shot of every single Carry On film, Gerald Thomas, um, and a brilliant editor. I mentioned about Carry On Sergeant. He edited before he went onto the floor to make the films. That's why they could make them in six weeks. Ken Russell always said, it's impossible. You can't make a Carry On. You can't make any film in six weeks. But they did it 31 times. I mean, not even touched on the TV specials and the stage shows and all the other multimedia stuff that Carry On sort of spun off to in the 60s and 70s. Um, and he was a brilliant craft Gerald Thomas, and you're right, Gem. And I, I've got to be very careful because I'm, you know, in the eye of the storm if anything does happen. But I mean, it is impossible to, to duplicate that superb rep company of actors. It really is. I mean, they were just a once in a lifetime, and 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 you don't learn that overnight. You know, Sid James and Hattie Jakes and Kenneth Williams were part of Tony Hancock's team before Carry On. Kenneth Connor and Charles Hawtrey were part of Ted Ray's team on radio before Carry On. They'd all worked together in some permutation, be in pantomime or summer season, before Carry On. So they came together in this wonderful sort of mixture with, with Jerry Thomas, the director, Peter Rogers, making sure the budgets sort of worked. And they made these great films that still make us laugh. Every time I see Carry On Screaming, I'm eight. It's a, it's a, it's a bonfire night, which is my dad's birthday. We came in, it was cold, we had jacket potatoes, Carry On Screaming was on. Oh. And I think everyone's transported to a certain place when you see Carry that On That might films. be the screening that individually um, the four members of League of Gentlemen all sat down one bonfire night and independently watched Carry On Screaming which went into their psyche and became League of Gentlemen and all, you know, Inside Number 9 and Psychoville and all that wonderful stuff, which I think is brilliant. Because there is a legacy, isn't there? There is a huge legacy, which I think quite often gets forgotten about. You'd be surprised at the people who love the carry-ons. And I I think we've, there's something recently, Bear Grylls is a big carry-on fan. Who who knew? Um, I didn't. But also, I just think, I think going back to talking about sort of today and and carry-ons i think the thing we met we miss in society is rep company mm. and the own the last one i can think of was the david croft and perry um the heidi high gang the Alo Alo gang i i just i'm, I'm trying to think today ah, no we had nigel planer oh. yeah so the comic strip and, yeah. and yeah. you look strip, back at the yeah. comic strip and it was only when he kind of said, well, there was Dawn and Jennifer yeah. and yeah. Rick and Aid and Ben. And you yeah. kind of went, wow. But that was, that was contemporary with the, the Perry and Croft and Jeremy Lloyd stuff, you know. 40 Jeremy, years they, ago. They were going into, I mean, yeah, young, <laughs> the young ones, I hate to say it, is 40, you know, 42 years old now. You have to name, you can save one woman from the Carry On films. Who do you save? Oh, gosh. Imogen herself. That's a good answer. Do you know Imogen Hassel in one uh, plays Jenny Grubb in in Carry On Loving? She's brilliant. She she goes from this plain Jane character into a wonderful sort of buxom, sexy lady um, that really attracts Terry Scott and everybody else that watches that film. She's she's a brilliant actress. Um, very tragically uh, took her own life at the age of 38 so we'll get her back I might, I might agree with that there Jim I could have gone through a whole list of people I mean I must admit I'm, the, the person I was fr- as closest with as a, as a mate was Joan Sims um, she was just lovely um, and she was the most prolific of all the carry on girls um, she made 24 of the films but she made loads of the TV specials and she did more than anybody even Kenneth Williams Kenneth Williams has got the record for films he's in 26 out of 31 but Joan's got the record for the most carry-ons of all um, and she was such a brilliant actress 
that could do anything. And she was also the most humble, sort of kind, nice person. So I'll, I'll bring Joan back. You can have Imogen. How's that? Okay. All right. We all like infamy, infamy. We all like, do you mind if I smoke? What's your favourite lines? Ooh. It's a hard one. Is that the line? It's a hard one. Oh. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, mine is, um, actually, I do know what it is. It's, it's down, going down that road as well. Um, it's the scene in Carry On Abroad where you've got June Whitfield sitting opposite Sid James and... Uh, He's like, smoke? And she's like, no, no. I tried it once and didn't like it. Drink? <laughs> tried it once and didn't like it. And she goes, my daughter is exactly the same. And it's the killer line of, your only child, I've assumed. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's, uh, that's the old Max Miller joke, isn't it? About the honeymoon yeah. couple who check out the hotel. They get the bill, you know, laundry, two shillings. We didn't use the laundry. Oh, it was there if you wanted it. You know, bar, two shillings. We didn't use it. It was there if you wanted it. My wife, I didn't use it. Oh, she was there for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Robert, what's yours? Uh, that was a, a good time to Mine's think. a pint. No, oh, it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, Probably that oh, one, isn't it? It really is hard. I mean, that's, that's a great exchange. Um, oh, gosh. I think it I is. It's, isn't it? Isn't it for you? I know what yours is. Go on. Delicate blooms. Oh well, yeah. Well, it's not even delicate a funny blooms. line. It's 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 William Hartnell just saying delicate blooms. It just it just sums up the the innocence of that. It's like you know because he's basically if you're not seeing Carry On Sergeant, and I recommend you do. It's very good. Um, uh, he basically has a bet with Terry Scott that um, uh, William Hartnell, this retiring sergeant of the British Army has failed to get any sort of star recruits over years and years and years. And he's about to retire and he takes on a bet. And he just says, delicate blooms, delicate <laughs> blooms with Bill Owen. And it's just, it just sums up the fact that nicely, nicely, quietly, quietly, if you don't shout to people, they will do the job. <laughs> um, it may not happen in real life, but no. it happens in carry-on films. And I, sort of, uh, I think that's, a, that's a, a motto to live your life by. And really. I think your other one is... Um, it's matrons round. So I, I do like that, <laughs> and, there's, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole whole string of those. Not only uh, mine's a pint. There's matrons round. I don't care if she's triangular. Um, <laughs> you get it's it's those wonderful Christmas cracker gags that they sort of like just just seep into the scripts, and I, I love those. I'm, they're childlike, not childish. That's what it is. This has been an absolutely fantastic night. It, it's, uh, to have a whole room here, talking, remembering, laughing, probably not always in the right places, but laughing fantastically about 31 films that shaped our lives, shaped our growing up, and, and I also think shaped the way we look at comedy and the way we find things funny, and it's been absolutely brilliant. Robert, Gemma, the book is fantastic. Support your local independent bookshop. Buy it locally. Buy it here tonight from the Newman Bookshop. The book is fantastic. Carrions are fantastic. Would you give a fantastic thank you to Robert and Gemma Ross? Thank you.